In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents... Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop story. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny... One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Welcome to the latest edition of the Politically Georgia podcast. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, and I'm here with the great AJC political insider columnist, Patricia Murphy. Patricia, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. Well, Patricia, there's an old adage in politics, or if there isn't, there should be, that goes like this. If you can't say anything nasty about Nazis, don't say anything at all. And Herschel Walker's campaign is still dealing with the fallout of a fundraiser involving a swastika. Patricia, you were right in the middle of this, uh, this little conflagration. Yeah, you know, you and I were um, alerted to a fundraiser that was coming up in Texas for Herschel Walker. To me, the news out of that at first was that it was in Texas and that he was continuing to raise money because he's raised a lot. And then a very easy search of the host's name brought up her Twitter profile with a swastika right on top, which I found really, really surprising and um, reached out to Walker's campaign and they uh, said very quickly, this is clearly not a swastika. This is clearly about uh, opposing vaccine mandates. Um, and, uh, but, uh, you know, Herschel Walker. And then they kind of went through the standard language that you do, of course, about um, supporting the Jewish community. Um, to me, it was a really unusual moment um, mm-hmm. in that the woman had a swastika, uh, but then also the response from uh, Walker's team uh, was something that we didn't quite expect. And certainly, that response, along with uh, the image of the swastika, really blew up for Walker very quickly that day, and it hasn't quite uh, blown over, as you as you said. Yeah, and look, the uh, the, the invite was posted on the uh, got a the, got a phone ring in there. Okay, who's Sorry, I you, think that, oh, yeah, if you just start over, the in, the invite was posted. How dare you? The invite was posted. <laughs> <laughs> the invite was posted on the social media account of a of a Texas movie producer who considers herself, herself part of the conservative Hollywood movement, um, and the invite was posted on her Twitter account. And frankly, I at first I linked to the to that Twitter account in the in, in my jolt kind of write up. Um, but I overlooked the swastika at first. I was looking more at some of her past comments. I did a quick search of, of what she said. And she, she said things about how she equated Nazism with vaccine mandates. But I actually missed the swastika at first. I'm glad Patricia caught it. But the swastika was made up of syringes. Um, and indeed, when, when you asked Herschel Walker's campaign for comment, they, they both they immediately said, hey, this is, this is a very well-known symbol against vaccine mandates. This is not a, a symbol of hate. But clearly it was. It, it was a swastika. And this is something that the Jewish community more broadly is, is, has been fighting against, which is equating vaccine mandates with, with the Nazi regime's murder of six million Jews during the Holocaust, right? 
And it's something that, that Jewish leaders, that politicians, that advocacy groups have all been saying, stop comparing the most brutal genocide that, that the world has ever seen, or one of the most brutal genocides, to hoping that people get vaccines so that they can stop a global pandemic from spreading. Yeah, and it really, um, it there are so many layers of what's unusual here in this episode. Uh, first of all, that um, there is this uh, small but growing and insistent um, meme on the far right uh, to link uh, the Holocaust with vaccine mandates. Um, to me, this is just a really unusual turn for um, a part of the party that has not really been, um, uh, has not been taken down or taken out by more mainstream Republican leaders. Uh, there was not a huge outcry among mainstream Republicans after this happened. Most people are just trying to keep their head down, keep their heads down and move on. Um, so that was unusual. Um, and then um, even within Walker's camp, not to sort of immediately see this and be alarmed um, to me was unusual. And so um, it really sets up a situation where you've got a really unpredictable Republican Party in 2022. You've got a party that has this element within it that is being um, uh, uh, really um, not ignored, but almost uh, welcomed and seen as part of the party. Um, and then you have um, Herschel Walker, uh, just a, uh, uh, an unexperienced campaigner, meaning he's also not experienced sort of in moments of crisis like this. What is the thing to do? Um, there's an easy answer to this query. Uh, is there a swastika here? <laughs> The easy answer is, oh my gosh, that's horrifying. We will pull out of this fundraiser. Um, it took them several hours to do that. And I think it could be um, an indication that the campaign ahead may have a few more bumps in the road. To me, it was a sign that it's a, it's, um, a young campaign and a new campaigner. And um, we're going to have, I would expect, a few more episodes like this in the future. Yeah, and, and, a, and a kind of new campaign team. I mean, his operatives have worked many other campaigns, but... Um, so it's not like they're, they're all first-time politicians, just like Herschel Walker, but clearly something that could have been avoided, the fallout, right? I mean, a, a, the fundraiser issue could have been avoided in the first place by vetting, which is easy to say in hindsight, but I know that there's, there's lots of things that go into these fundraisers. But clearly, you know, saying up front right after, whoa, that's a swastika, we're canceling this fundraiser. And I heard from many, many Republicans afterwards um, privately who expressed shock that that wasn't what happened immediately because they could have avoided some of this fallout. It became an international story. I saw I saw coverage of this all over the internet in, in the hours after. Now, whether or not this it causes any long-term damage, I doubt it. We were talking about that even with some Democratic strategists earlier this week who, who said it was a nice way for them to, to take a jab at Herschel Walker, who's the front-runner in the Republican race right now uh, for... for Senator Raphael Warnock to raise a little bit more cash, but Herschel Walker's clearly not trying to let it dog his campaign. It actually, he went on Sean Hannity's show later that night. It didn't come up at all in his interview, but this statement did raise some eyebrows in GOP circles. I don't care whether you're a Democrat or you're a Republican, I'm here to represent you because everything that the Democrats want, I guarantee it is what I want. We want free, we want, the, we want law and order, we want uh, the border control, we want, uh, we want the prices to go down, we don't like inflation. Now, Patricia, that is not a message you'd necessarily hear from a Republican in a heated primary. You might hear that in a general election, sort of, but not a Republican in the midst of a primary against three other 
GOP rivals. Yeah, well, it really speaks to a couple of things. I think, first of all, that Herschel Walker is not a traditional candidate. He is not going to say the traditional poll-tested, consultant-approved, safe comments. I think also he also seems to really believe this, that he uh, just wants what everybody else wants. I think he, um, as he goes around the state and talks to more voters, he may hear that those are not things that Democratic voters articulate clearly. We don't hear from uh, Democratic voters that they want a secure border and law and order sort of in those exact words. I think uh, Mm -hmm. if it's presented differently, um, he could even connect on that. So I know that uh, Republicans were alarmed when to hear any Republican candidate say, I just want what Democratic voters want. But I think um, it could be part of Walker's appeal down the road, the fact that he doesn't um, uh, hit these uh, Republican talking points hard right now. And it also says he just doesn't have to. Right now, he is by far the leading candidate in this in this uh, primary. He can pretty much say and do what he wants at this point. Um, and he's Herschel Walker. He's got millions of dollars. He's got Donald Trump's endorsement. And what else do you need to get you through the Republican primary, really? And this is, this is sort of, it could be the strategy that, that it's something that Walker watchers are, are, are picking up on because he's done... He's done a few media interviews. He hasn't had a traditional campaign rallies. He's been doing very small, like listening sessions events beyond his appearance at Donald Trump's big rally in September. But he's almost looking past the primary to the general election already with with this talk about unity and working across the aisle. That's something you do tend to hear in the run up to a November general election campaign and not as much in the middle of a of a primary, and that's not the only time he said something like that. Like even at even at Donald Trump's rally, he was talking more about how we should be able to talk to all people, not just Republicans. You know, like platitudes, very friendly stuff, not the red meat that the base was expecting to hear from Herschel Walker. They still gave him a rousing ovation at that rally because he's Herschel Walker, because Donald Trump is there, right there to support him. But I think if it was anyone else saying that same message, it might have fallen flat. Oh, I completely agree. Um, And, you know, this was not a misstatement. This was, in fact, his opening message. If you watch his campaign video, this is the message. It is, we shouldn't be divided. Um, We all want the same things. Um, And so I think we're going to hear this theme again and again and again. And it's just a luxury at this point for him to be able to not have to race to the right in the way that so many other Republican statewide candidates are having to do in order to curry favor with uh, Donald Trump and those Trump supporters. We know that's going to pick up a whole lot of baggage for some of those Republican candidates statewide when it's time for them to run in a general election in November. So if Herschel Walker can just skip all that and head in his mind and in um, sort of his public statements straight to the general election, that's a pretty smart strategy. And right now we don't see that he needs to do anything else to get Republican voters on his side for the primary. Yeah, and remember, these candidates will have millions of dollars streaming in. Um, Herschel Walker posted a big first fundraising number, $3.7 million or so uh, in the five weeks since he entered the race, which is, puts him far and ahead above his, his top rivals, Gary Black, uh, Latham Sadler, Kelvin King, who, who've all raised, you know, credible numbers, but not 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 in that sort of neighborhood. Um, but let's talk about Raphael Warnock, the Democratic incumbent, who raised 
nine more more than nine million dollars in one quarter. I mean, that's a record in Georgia for this stage in election cycle. And he has more than seventeen million dollars in the bank already. And that is that is before election year. You know, that is building off of his phone book thick list of donors and supporters that he built during last year's runoff campaign, of course, that, that resulted in his narrow victory over, over Kelly Leffler. And that was the most expensive Senate race in, in, in U.S. history. Uh, he is building on that. We don't expect this one to be the most expensive Senate race, but who knows? Uh, and it's already setting Georgia records for sure. That's exactly right. Um, I think when we all saw that number, we were, I called it a monster number. I'm like, oh my yeah. gosh. I mean, that is, that is sort of like final quarter October sprint to the finish cash. That is not, you know, just warming up your engine and we have no idea who, who you're a primary, who your general election opponent is going to be cash. Um, and because he doesn't have a primary, he doesn't have to spend any of it. Um, unlike these Republican primary contenders who really are going to have to start spending their money for the, for the lower tier candidates, they're going to have to spend every dollar and probably go into debt. So um, Raphael Warnock, at least in terms of the fundraising situation and his own, um, his own uh, uh, ability to just skip the primary process, he is really in a great spot. Um, you couldn't be happier uh, for your situation if you were Warnock's team right now um, to be raising all of this cash. And um, part of that is because he did go through that runoff and because he yeah. did build that huge list. Um, and the national focus on Georgia has not gone away one bit. So he has stayed in people's minds. And I think those donors are ready to open their wallets up again and again. Yeah, you know, and, and what impresses me about uh, th these big dollar donations, too, is that it's not like it's not like Senator Warnock has been holed away in a, in a room doing call time all day to donors. I'm sure he's doing some of that, but he's still maintained his, his job as, a, as the pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church. He's still at the U.S. Senate in hearings and committee meetings and votes. So, you know, some, and some candidates, including him, when they enter the race, they kind of go under underground for a little bit, like he did in early 2020, just trying to raise numbers, raise, raise money, put up a big number for their first quarter. Um, he raised this amount of money while still, while still doing his other jobs uh, primarily, um, which, which is, again, is a testament to the fact that like, Georgia continues to be a battleground state and he continues to build this grassroots fundraising infrastructure because he, his, his donations were not just from big dollar elite Democratic donors, which you know, a portion of it was, but tens of thousands of small dollar donors from, from all 50 states chipped in for his campaign. Um, and by the way, just like they did for, for Herschel Walker's campaign as well, his campaign noted donors in all 50 states also gave money to him, and many of those were small dollar donations as well. So we're seeing, we're seeing the rise of small dollar money in these campaigns. Yeah, and if these two um, end up uh, being each other's opponents, what a, what a premier contest that is going to be nationally to have these two incredibly well-known gentlemen who are both going to be banking so much money on their own, and then we know the national parties are ready to spend on their behalf because Georgia is just so crucial to control of the Senate, as we saw just a few months ago. Well, let's take a quick break here, and when we come back, we'll talk more about Georgia in 2022. We journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution want to take a minute to thank our subscribers. Because of your support, we were able to make this podcast available to everyone. Our reporting 
and local journalism is because of subscriber support of our newspaper. If you are not a print or digital newspaper subscriber, join us. Go to AJC.com and sign up today. Thank you and continue to follow our reporting in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and online at AJC.com. Thanks, Leroy. And we're back. This is Greg Bluestein with the Politically Georgia podcast. and I'm here with Patricia Murphy, the political insider columnist. Now, let's talk a little bit more about Georgia 2022. On to Donald Trump's marching orders for his base heading into the next election. We never forget 2020, just in case you have any questions. That was last month in Perry. The former president is paying off that promise by insisting that Republican voters boycott the elections if they don't focus on his lies about election fraud. Patricia, this is this is something he sent in a mass email uh, to supporters and to journalists a few days ago that really struck fear in the hearts of Republicans here in Georgia who worried about what they saw as a redux of the 21 runoffs, of the Senate runoffs in January, when tens of thousands of faithful Republican voters, reliable Republican voters, uh, stayed home in January rather than vote for either David Perdue and Kelly Le- or Kelly Leffler. Yeah, the Washington Post had some coverage of this dynamic um, earlier this week, and they spoke with a Republican who said that uh, Republicans in Washington are having cold sweats over Donald Trump and what he's doing right now. And the statement that he sent out earlier this week, Donald Trump said, if Republicans don't do something about the 2020 election loss, then uh, Republican voters aren't going to come out in 2022, um, that they'll insist that they do something. And let's rewind and watch the tape that Republican legislatures, including Georgia's, have bent over backwards and passed laws that they really didn't need to pass on election integrity. Um, as they call it, in order to satisfy Donald Trump and his supporters and in order to get them back to the polls in 2022, um, as they didn't in those runoffs in Georgia. Um, And so it's clear that not only is he still obsessed with his election loss, and he is still telling Republican voters um, that they maybe shouldn't go vote in 2022, there is literally nothing that Republicans can do to change this dynamic with Donald Trump. They have already passed the laws. They've already sued the court, you know, sued the officials. They've already run it through the courts. They've literally taken it to the Supreme Court. Uh, None of those showed any fraud that would have cost uh, Joe Biden the election. Um, And it's because it just didn't exist. So there is nothing they can do except pull a rabbit out of a hat to get Donald Trump off of this mindset. And so when, when Republicans are talking about cold sweats, I don't blame them. If I was a Republican strategist, I would not know what to do with myself right now. Yeah, we should note that yet another one of those legal challenges contesting uh, or seeking to contest the outcome of Donald Trump's defeat was tossed by the court system um, by by a judge in uh, Metro Atlanta um, just a few days ago after the Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger filed documents that showed that his election investigators have found no evidence of any sort of pristine ballots being manipulated of any sort of election fraud. It was the maybe umpteenth million time that, uh, that the Secretary of State's office said that there's been no evidence of any voter fraud, but this came in the, in the form of a new court document that compelled the judge to toss the case. So we've had multiple recounts, we've had audits, 
We've had court challenges that went nowhere. We've had bipartisan election officials saying that there was no widespread voter fraud. We've had election law changes that, as you mentioned, that Republican-led majorities narrowly passed this past year. And it will never be enough for, for, um, for, the, for those who believe in the election lies uh, about widespread fraud, short of overturning Georgia's 2020 outcome, which is impossible. It cannot happen. And has already been certified, verified, and there's no process in which to go back and overturn those. So it's a moot point, but it's still a point that Republicans will have to contend with all the way through next November. Yeah, and it's also uh, creating this dynamic for Republican candidates um, that the only thing that they can really do to satisfy President Trump and to satisfy Trump voters is to repeat everything that the president is saying about the last election. And uh, it just puts them in a terrible position. They can raise all the money they want. They can get all the other endorsements they want. They can do talking points, speeches events uh, that can do all the things that um, Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue did the last time around. I mean, Kelly Loeffler was on a plane about six times a day. There is nothing that woman didn't do to get mm -hmm. reelected, um, mm -hmm. including supporting the president at every turn. But because it was not enough for Donald Trump uh, to actually get the election overturned in his favor, um, those Trump voters did not come out. So what is, an, what is a candidate to do? Um, I'm just not quite sure. Yeah, I can't think of a single thing that Kelly Leffler did that, that, that didn't that, that upset Donald, Donald Trump, right? I mean, she, she met every single one of his demands, um, and not just on the election uh, fraud front, but also on policy front, you know, backing his calls for a more robust coronavirus direct checks, if you remember all that controversy in the final weeks of the election. I mean, every single point, um, including the eve of the election, the runoffs, saying she'll support blocking the Electoral College confirmation. Of course, she ended up reneging on that um, after the January 6th insurrection, um, but she at least said at first she was going to support that to a rally of tens of thousands of his, of his faithful. So, no, you're right. And if Republicans are caught in that same bind next year, that's what is that is what is keeping them up awake at night in those cold sweats you were mentioning. But I would I do want to talk about two Georgia Republican leaders who are pushing back on him. Both also are on book tours at this moment. <laughs> one Surprise! Is <laughs> one is Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, who is running for re-election at this point, at least. He's been harshly critical of him and has given interviews in recent days and and also. Um, you know, wrote an op-ed comparing Donald Trump to Stacey Abrams, which is in the Republican world is, is tantamount to a betrayal, right? Uh, and the other is Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan, who's not running for re-election, and he's hitting the, essentially hitting the campaign trail in a way to promote his vision of GOP 2.0. He's headed to New Hampshire in a few days, the, the site of the early voting. I love it. Yeah, and he might be going to <laughs> other states too. I mean, I'm told that he could be going to South Carolina, Iowa, I don't know about Nevada, but like, uh, is it a Barnes and Noble in North in New Hampshire? Or is he going to a Republican group? He is going to Saint. Uh, I might be pronouncing it wrong, but Saint, oh, Saint Anselm, Anselm. Yeah, Saint yeah. Anselm College, and speaking to a, a, a political institute there, and, and oh, also great. meeting with folks while he's up there. So okay. So no, it's not just a Barnes and Noble, um, and I'm not sure what the what the plans for the other states are, but but I think it's safe to say that this book and the fact that he's one of the few 
highly high elected, high profile elected officials in, in prominent positions. LG is no laughing matter in Georgia, right? I mean, he's the, yeah. he's the number two Republican in the state. Uh, and he's one of the few who are talking, uh, willing to confront the president, the former president has opened some doors for him nationally. And he's certainly been all over the airwaves on CNN and MSNBC and, and occasionally on Fox uh, until, until recent weeks, um, you know, uh, uh, pushing back against Trump's election fraud falsehoods. And I think this book will probably open more doors for him and more opportunities. And we'll see, you know, I, I did, I didn't put this in the story, but I did ask him if that meant he was interested in running for 2024. And he told me he's, you know, he goes, I'm not focused on that right now. I'm, I'm not really thinking about that. I'm not ruling it out, but I'm not thinking about it. And I said, okay. For <laughs> so, president? I mean, or something. Uh, so, so, you know, you, you, hey, look, I mean, in Georgia, you never, you, you never know. And so we it's could so see true. Jeff Duncan raising his profile even more as one of the few Republicans who early, you know, who early and after the November election, there's lots of Republicans, I'm thinking Larry Hogan in Maryland, who were critics of him throughout. But Jeff Duncan was one of the few supporters of Trump who, after the election, you know, were very forceful in their criticism of his of his handling of his election defeat. That's right. That's right. And um, Brad Raffensperger, of course, as well, was a huge Trump supporter um, heading into the election. And then, um, you know, I think people just really have to give him credit. He was a, a strong Trump supporter who did not bend to the president's um, demands. And um, Brian Kemp as well, a very strong Trump supporter and didn't bend to the president's demands. And uh, we see where that's gotten both of them. And Brian Kemp is playing a different strategy than those other two Republican leaders I, I mentioned, because Brian Kemp right. is not dissing Donald Trump in any form or fashion. No. Uh, he, is, he, is, he is holding fast to all his policies. He even went to the border the, a few days ago to, to demand that we build the wall and, and support Trump's, Trump's policy approaches. So we're seeing a very different st- stance than uh, Brad Raffensperger. And look, that's partly the reason is Brad Raffensperger is the underdog in his race for the Republican nomination, and Brian Kemp remains the, the favorite. And there have been no, no, uh, no credible Republican threats to Brian Kemp quite yet, even though Donald Trump is surely trying. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think that uh, really speaks to also the kind of race and the kind of message that Kemp has had, um, really threading that needle between not flipping the election for Donald Trump, but then also not criticizing Trump at all. And so that has not, that has just uh, really left a door too, just closed too tight for, uh, for a legitimate contender to come in and really give Kemp a run for his money. Um, Kemp has done just enough to get into trouble with some of the Trump base, um, but not nearly enough um, to not be uh, a really credible leading contender to get reelected. So we'll see what really happens with that. But Kemp has has taken uh, this really tough uh, route through no man's land of uh, not flipping the election, but then also um, trying to stay close to the Trump supporters. And um, we'll see if that is an effective strategy that anyone can really can really manage. I like that visual of Brian Camp wandering in no man's land. <laughs> well, I'm sure they'll love it too. <laughs> yeah. Well, Patricia, that's about all the time we have in the show. Um, stay tuned on Monday for a special episode of the show focusing on the race for City Hall.
Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, the Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter.